Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. With me to the Old Testament book of Haggai. The Old Testament book of Haggai. And as we examine this book, we were reminded that this morning as we went through the context, the context is, is the Babylonian people had come and taken the people of Israel. They had transported them thousand miles away. And now God is now working once again. We'll get more into the context in just a second. But we now find our way to the book of Haggai. We had hit some earlier context this morning talking about the importance of the house of God. And now we follow it back up in the Old Testament book of Haggai. The book of Haggai, and let's look in chapter number 2. The book of Haggai in chapter number 2. And notice with me in the book of Haggai, chapter number 2. Let's look together starting at verse number 1. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says this. In the seventh month and the one and twentieth day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shelethiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes comparison as it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And be ye strong, all ye people of the land, for the Lord's... Uh, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations. And the desire of nation of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory. Saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine. Saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house. Shall be greater. Than that of the former. Saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace. Saith the Lord of of host. And if you're in the heaven of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Haggai chapter number two? The book of Haggai chapter number two, and notice with me in verse number nine. Haggai chapter two and verse nine, notice the phrase, the glory of this latter house shall be greater. The glory of this latter house shall be greater. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. And let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would open up this passage. Help us to have an understanding of the context that we may learn from it. And that we could also apply it to our own life as we see the emphasis of your house. Once again, I'm asking that you would speak to us. That you would make it be clear. 
And that you would get all honor and glory and praise because of this. Lord, we know that it is not of us, it is of you. So the best I know how, I surrender myself even now. And that you would give us the encourage, the hope, the liberty, the understanding that comes from your word. That you would do it all and that you would encourage your people today. In your name we pray. Amen. The glory of this latter house shall be greater. What a powerful statement, especially in the context of what is happening. Now, just as a review of what we've kind of hit this morning as a context, is that the people of Jerusalem and Judea had been transported from their homes from, by the Babylonians to live throughout the Babylonian Empire. When they destroyed Jerusalem in 586 BC, they had also destroyed Solomon's temple. Now Solomon's temple was just an amazing place. Solomon had built that after the pattern of the tabernacle, but had enlarged it. And it became a wonder of the ancient world. Solomon, when he built it, he had built this huge structure on top of one of the hills. So when people would come to Jerusalem, it was one of the first things they would see. And then just to sugarcoat it, he put gold all over the temple. And it was made so, so when someone was approaching Jerusalem, they would see the sun shining and glinting off this building, and it would be a reflection of God's glory and presence upon the city of Jerusalem. In order to build Solomon's temple to equate it in today's economics, it would be at least $20 billion to build. That's a little bit more money than most of you have. And so it was something that was very much an endeavor to build. It was something that was magnificent. Again, can you imagine $20 billion in that time frame to be able to build such a structure, such a marvelous structure? Well, when the Babylonians came, they destroyed Solomon's temple. They had wiped it out. It is now gone. In fact, Jeremiah, as he goes through the book of Lamentations, is like a newspaper reporter, a journalist on the ground that's walking through Jerusalem, giving a report of what he sees. And one of the things that makes him cry is that he walks over and stumbles on something and thinks it's just some rubble. But then he looks, it's actually a piece of the temple. It's all scattered throughout the streets and it's all destroyed. It's all wiped out. It's gone. Well, we know that God had sent the, the Hebrew people, the uh, Jewish people, away for 70 years. And after 70 years, Cyrus the king of Persia sent a commandment for the people to go back and rebuild the temple. And they started. They built a nice foundation, had a big celebration. But then oppression came, some persecution came, some hard times came, the government came, and the people stopped building. So for 15 years, that temple foundation is laid bare. 15 years, no one has tried to touch it. No one's tried to build. No one's swept it. No one's cut the grass around it. It is laid there in waste for 15 years. So because of this, God had wanted the people to rise up and build. And so he sent two preachers, two prophets, to go and preach. He sent Haggai, and then he sent Zechariah. Both of them with the message to rise up and build. Haggai is a little bit more direct. You go build it now. Where Zechariah uses a lot more encouragement and a lot more uh, 
uh, prophecy, a lot more visual to try to encourage the people to go. We understand that both of them were necessary. The direct, you go build it now, and let me tell you why you should build it with encouragement. Both of them were used to help the people to rise up and build. At this time, you had two political leaders. Notice with me in chapter 2 and verse 2. Now speak unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shelithiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. So we have the political leader, Zerubbabel. He is actually supposed to inherit the kingdom of Jerusalem. His, he follows the lineage of the kingly line. But because of the destruction, he is no longer king. But the people of Persia, Cyrus, trusted him. And now he is the governor of this area inside of the Persian Empire. Then you have the high priest, Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak. He is the high priest. He is the religious leader. And so this book is addressed to the political leader and the religious leader and to the residue of the people to encourage them to rise up and build. Now is the time to build. Now is the time to work. So we understand the theme here is that God wants the people to work on his house. Now with the context of this, let's go ahead and see from the text here some of the things that God said concerning building his house. The first thing that we see here is that God is looking for people to stop making excuses and serve. God is looking for people to stop making excuses and serve. Notice with me in the book of Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1. The book of Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month and the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shelethiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Notice, the people are saying this in verse 2. This isn't what God's saying. God's repeating. The people said, no, 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 no. It's not time. I know that we laid the foundation uh, 15 years ago, but it's not quite time to build yet. We need to wait for the political climate to be favorable. We need to wait for these to come at. We need to wait for this. And we need to wait for this. That They're coming up with excuse. The first excuse is that it's not time yet. We need to wait for later. You know, people are pretty good at making excuses. All the time, people will say, yeah, I plan on serving God, but I need to wait for this. I need to wait till I graduate. I need to wait till I get my master's. I need to wait till I get my doctorate. I need to wait till I get a good job. I need to get a better job. I need to wait till I get a better house. I'm going to wait till I retire. I need to... And they come up with all kinds of excuses of why it's not the right time. Why I can't serve God now. And God is saying, I'm looking for people to stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. That's not a good excuse. Now is the time to start building. Now is the time to start serving. Now is the time that I want you to vest into building my house. Notice it goes on verse number three. Then came the word of the Lord by the Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your chilled houses and this house lie waste? Now therefore... Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider 
your ways. Now, it goes off and God says, answer. Remember, the people are saying, it's not time. It's not the right time to build God's house. And God says, well, listen, is it time for you to deal, dwell in your chilled houses? Now, the word chilled is an interesting word. It carries the idea of paneled. It carries the idea of taking a home and having what you need to building it up extravagantly, to building it up so you have all the quirks and having all the pleasures and all the comforts. And that it carries the idea that not only do they come and build themselves a house and they have a nice place to live, but now let's get all the nice things. Let's get the big TV. Let's get the sound system. You know what? I'll serve God, but I got to wait till my house is perfect. And there's always going to be something more to get. Always something to make it more entertaining, more relaxing, more comforting. And it carries the idea that God's doing a comparison. Listen, look at this. Your house has not just the basic needs. We understand you have to work. But look at all the nice stuff that you have in your house that's sitting there. And then look at God's house that's laying waste. You're letting God's house sit there and be a horrible testimony of God's name and God's power while you're spending all your money on you. You're spending all your money on pleasures. The newest game system. The newest sound thing. The newest this. The newest hobby. You have special windows that open up. That turn dark and shade just for the snap of your hands. And you're building all this stuff. And you're letting God's house lay there waste. And you say that, look how powerful my God is. How can you say that when God's house is falling apart? When it's laying their waste. God is looking for people to stop making excuses and serve. Notice as it goes on, verse number six, in verse number five, God said, consider your ways. What are they supposed to consider? Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but have not enough. Ye drink, but are not filled with drink. Ye clothe ye, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to be put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood, build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house is waste. Ye run every man unto his own house. So God says, listen, I've been trying to get your attention. You know what one of the number one ways for God to get your attention? Finances. Here are the people, they don't have a, uh, it's not like they don't have a job, they have a job. And they're working hard at their job. And they're working hard and they come home and they expect to be able to enjoy what they make. But instead it's like, I buy, I come home with a paycheck and I come home and put the bag and it's empty because there's a hole in it. It just seems like as soon as I get paid, it's all gone. God says, it's almost like you get your money and put it in your hand and then God blows and it's all gone. This is an actual judgment of God that it seems like you work and you work and you work, but you don't get to enjoy the benefits of your work. You don't enjoy the money. You worked really hard and you got paid. You know you did. But it goes away. You know God is good at getting our finances. He's good at getting our attention. He says you know why I'm doing this? Because you're letting my house sit there at waste. And I'm not standing for it. You said you're my people. You said you follow me. But instead you keep spending the money on yourself. And you plan on spending it yourself. 
So I'm going to get your attention. There's something to it. I don't know about you, but I know there are times in my life where that was the exact description of my life. I worked hard and I know I did. I knew I got paid and I got home and I wanted to do stuff with it. It's all gone. And you know, there was a bill that came here and you come up and they get a surprise bill and then the car breaks and this happens and this happens and God's pretty good at getting your attention. I mean, you still got paid. You got paid with what you ding, but things just took it away. What happened? God says, it's because my house is sitting there wasted and you plan on using your money for you. And not doing anything for me. He says, I want you to consider your ways. I want you to consider what is going on. Notice as he continues to go on. Verse number 10. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew. And the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land. And upon the mountains. And upon the corn. And upon the new wine. And upon the oil. And that which is broken uh, bring forth. And upon men. And upon their candles. And upon their labor and their hands. Here he is, he's stirring them up. And he's trying to say, listen, I'm looking for people to stop making excuses. Why was all these things happening? Because they were making excuses. You know, everyone's got excuses. I heard once of a preacher who knocked on someone's door. They had been coming to church, but trying to get him to come to Sunday school and said, will you please come to Sunday school? And the guy says, I can't. Well, why not? Because I got a quarter milk in the refrigerator. What? You got a quarter? What? How does that? He says, one excuse is good as another. That's true. People do what they want to do. And if you don't want to be faithful to church, you're not going to be faithful to church. There's something amazing about someone who has pain and someone who has allergies, someone whatever else, that as long as you say, well, if I feel good, I'll go to church, you'll never feel good. But as soon as you make a decision, you know what? I'm going to go to church no matter what. Nothing's going to keep me. Those things seem to clear up. It's amazing to see what God would do. But why is it? Because people will do what they want to do. And if you don't want to, there's always an excuse of why you can't. Always you could find something to keep you out of the way. Well, I'm babysitting my grandkids. Well, I've got company coming over. Well, I've got this. Well, it's too beautiful to go out. Well, and the, you could always find an excuse. It's too hot. It's too cold. I've, you know, <laughs> if you've never heard the excuse, the song excuses, it's a fun one because it gives all kinds of reasons why. Uh, it talks about, well, I just can't get where the crowds are at. But you go to the ball game to relax. I mean, there's all kinds of excuses that people could make. But that's all they are. God is looking for people to stop making excuses of why they can't serve and just serve. Amen. There's a second thing that we see here. Is that not only is God looking for a people to stop making excuses and serve, but God is also looking for a people to serve him with clean hands. God is looking for a people to serve him with clean hands. Notice with me in Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 10. Haggai chapter 2 and in verse number 10. God is looking for a people to serve him with clean hands. Hands. Notice with me in chapter 2 and verse 10. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month and the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, 
Ask now the priest concerning the law saying. So imagine this, all right? So God is saying, Haggai, I want you to get the crowd and I want you to pull up a priest and say, priest, we're going to ask you some things on the law. You can imagine the priest going, okay. So you bring the priest up. What question are you going to ask him? Verse number um, 12. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment and with his skirt he do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, no. All right, so imagine, if you don't mind, a ceremonial priest. And they're carrying some of the things of the Lord. And so before they could carry it, they've had a ceremonial clean themselves. They had to go through ritual. So you can imagine their nice robes that they're wearing. They're carrying the the holy items. And so as they're walking, can you imagine that their skirt, their, their clothes touch a piece of paper, touch a piece of bread. Just because they're holy, if they touch the bread, is the bread now holy? Is it something go, ooh, some priest teach? And they go, no, that's not how it works. You don't transfer holiness. Holiness does not spread upon someone. Okay, good. One question down. Let's follow up. He says, verse 13, Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, yes, it shall be unclean. All right, so imagine this. So let's say that I worked in the medical career field. And let's say that part of my job was to do an autopsy. All right, start digging in and stuff. But afterwards, I don't wash my hands. But I say, you know what? There's a clean piece of bread over here. I know because the bread is clean, if I touch it, it's going to make me clean. Is is that how it trains? No, it doesn't work that way. And so holiness doesn't transfer, but uncleanness does, right? If I touch it with unwashed hands, will it make that bread dirty? Yes. All right, so we're understanding holiness doesn't spread, but uncleanness spreads. Now let's go to the next thing here, verse number 14. Then said Haggai and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, that which they offer there is unclean. So here's this. God says, listen, why do you want to serve me with unwashed hands? What do you mean by that? Well, can you imagine that you go into the world And you go participate in all the world's junk. And all the filthiness of the world. But then you turn around and say, all right, I'm ready to serve you now, God. Is the things you touch going to make it clean or unclean? No, the world's always filthy and dirty. You can't bring it in. Let me give an example. We knew of a person once that every Saturday night they would be at at a bar playing piano. And they would be playing all the rock songs and the country songs and the horrible songs and play all those wonderful things or unwonderful things. And then the next morning, a couple later, hours later, still smelling of smoke, still uh, having the smell of alcohol all over, come to the church piano and start playing sacred music to God. Does that match? Is God going to bless that? No, he is not. Because holiness does not spread, uncleanness does. You understand, most people go play in the muck of the world. They're involved with the junk of the world. 
And then without trying to get right with God, try to come in and say, all right, I'm ready to teach a class. God can't bless that. He can't uh, use someone like that. That we have to stay clean in order for God to use us as vessels. It's like someone who says, I know I teach a Sunday school class, but it doesn't bother me if I watch pornography for a while and put the filth in my mind. I can still be good enough. God can still use me in Sunday school class. It doesn't work that way. You can't participate in the junk. You can't fill your mind with all the stuff that television has and then show up and expect God to use you as a clean vessel. You can't neglect your Bible reading. You can't neglect your prayer left life and then say, show up and say, all right, God, I'm ready for you to use me. God is looking for people to stop making excuses and serve him. But he's also looking for people to serve him with clean hands. People that have been working on being right with God instead of saying, oh, well, you take me as I am. I'll just use me however. I'm fine. No, the Bible's always put standards. He's always put things to help make sure that people are clean and serve him clean. There are certain expectations for anyone to be used of God. And if a church is going to go move forward where God can use anyone, but they have to be willing to serve God his way, not their way. Serve him with clean hands. Serve him clean. So now remember, the temple has a, just a foundation. It's been neglected for 15 years. And God sends Haggai, the preacher, to say, listen, now's the time to start serving God. Stop making excuses. And by the way, you need to serve God clean. Don't just try to serve God when you've been in the muck of the world and haven't tried to be right with God. God won't bless it. And it's going to corrupt everything. It's not going to work out. You can't try to serve God and do things for God if you're nasty and filthy yourself, take a shower, take a bath, be clean. You can't serve God that you're not clean. But then he goes on and gives some encouragements. We could see that God will encourage these people. So God is looking for people to stop making excuses and serve God. God is looking for people to serve him with clean hands. But then we could also see God will give encouragement to these people. Notice if you don't mind in chapter two, God gives a list of encouragements some encouragements about what God is doing. Notice if you don't mind here. Notice with me in chapter 2 verse 5. According to the word that I covenant with you, when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. The first promise that we see when these people are trying to serve God and they're serving God with clean hands, stop making excuses, they've decided to serve God, is that God says, I'm going to put my presence with you. I'm going to put my presence with you. What a wonderful God. Let me pause here. <laughs> Notice if you don't mind in verse number nine. It says, the glory of this latter house shall be greater. Now, one of the things that's been holding the people back is they've been looking in the past. They look at the little slab on the ground and said, you know what? How is it that we can build something that goes on here that will match what happened back then? How could we don't have $20 billion? We're just a ragtag group. Sure, we got some finances, but we don't have $20 billion. 
How is it that we could build something that would go to God's glory? God says, listen, I've got that taken care of. I've got that taken care of. Notice what he says. The glory of this latter house, so the house that you're building, is going to be greater than the one that you had before. What do you mean that this slab, look at this, we can imagine our eyes, it's piddly, it's small. How can it ever match that? And God says, listen, the glory of this house is going to be greater than what it was before. How? Because this is going to be the temple that Jesus Christ walks in. That Jesus Christ, when he gets in his earthly ministry, he is going to walk in this temple with his own feet. He is going to interact. He is going to participate. He's going to show up. Let me tell you, is having some temple that's laced with gold better than actually having Jesus walk in it? Oh, this is why God's trying to encourage you. Listen, the greatest days are still ahead. Don't look in the back and say, oh, things used to be better. Listen, I've got something better planned for you. The glory of this latter house shall be greater. And so because it's going to be greater, let me tell you some promises I'm going to give you just to let you know that this is what I want. And this is going to be better. The first thing is God's presence. God says, as you start obeying me, as you start working, I'm going to put my presence with you. I'm going to be with you while you obey God. While you start serving God's house. My presence will be with you. Well, if we know God is with us, we can do it. The job can be done. If we're all by ourselves, then we're stuck. But if we serve God, if we think that the best days are still ahead, and we have God's promise that says, you keep going, I'm going to be with you, we could get it done. That God's presence is a great encourager. That he promised his presence. Notice this. He didn't just promise his presence. He promised his provision. He promised his provision. Notice with me if you don't mind. In verse uh, number 8. He says the silver is mine. And the gold is mine. Saith the Lord. Why did God say that? Because remember they're looking at their temple and saying. I don't have 20 billion dollars. And God says, listen, don't worry about finances because I own it all. I made the gold. I made the silver. I own the cattle of a thousand hills and I own the taters underneath the hills. I'm not worried about money because I own it all. Aren't you glad that we have a God who has all the provision? You may look at a place like this and that's what we're going to apply it to. That the greatest days of this church are still ahead. And you may look and say, how are we going to do it? I just, we don't have millionaires in here. We don't have thousandaires in here. How can God get it done? Because God's not worried about money. He owns it all. Amen. He could easily supply his works. And he could do it from unusual means. God says, don't worry about the finances. You do what I told you. I will provide for it. The greatest days are still ahead. You do what I tell you to do. Notice he comes with that same idea in verse number 19. He says, is seed yet in the barn, yet as the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day, I will bless you. Um, in verse number 18, he was talking about consider this days. He was saying, since I've been obedient to you, hasn't God provided all your needs? He says, since you decided to be obedient, by the way, in the book of Haggai, it's the fastest national obedience. It took 24 days for them to put their efforts together and start working. It's the fastest recorded obedience of a people 
not of an individual, but of a people deciding to serve together. And God said, ever since you decided you were going to do this and serve and start building my house, haven't I blessed you? Isn't there seed in the barn? Isn't the plants blooming? Haven't I blessed you just because you just decided you were going to obey me? You see, God's not worried about provision. We can look and think of all the crazy things that pastor wants to get done and say, there's no way. Well, when God's holding the purse, there is a way. God can supply. See, this is encouragement that the greatest days are still ahead. Because as we obey, God will give his presence. As we obey, he'll put his finances. He'll give his provision. What else will he give? Notice, if you don't mind, a name of God that is repeated over and over and over. In fact, notice at the verse... Uh, Verse number seven, at the end of it, saith the Lord of hosts. End of verse eight, saith the Lord of hosts. Once again in verse number nine, in the middle of it, saith the Lord of hosts. At the end of verse nine, saith the Lord of hosts. If you go through the book of Haggai, you'll see that this one name of God is repeated over and over and over and over. What does the name of God, the Lord of hosts, mean? It's the God who's the captain of all the armies of heaven. Now remember, what was one of the reasons why they did not, uh, they stopped building the temple? Because they were afraid of all the people around them. God is saying, you go ahead and build. Don't worry about the people around them because I'm the Lord of hosts. I have all the armies of heaven in my control. I have things well in hand. You obey me, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. He's trying to emphasize, listen, I'm the God of all the armies of heaven. Who are you to fear? God plus one is a majority. Where's more of us than there is of them? Don't worry. Don't be scared of them. Don't be frightened of them. You do what I told you to do and move forward. We could go forward. We can expect that the greatest days are still ahead because of his presence, because of his provision, because of his protection. Notice as we something else, God's promise signet. God's promise signet. Notice with me in chapter 2 at the end in verse number 21. Haggai chapter 2 in verse 21. His promised signet. Haggai chapter 2 verse 21. Speaketh to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. And I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in him. The horses and their riders shall come down. And everyone by the sword of his brethren. And that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shelithiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Now here, God told Zerubbabel, you're my signet. What's a signet? Well, a signet would be a thing uh, that they wear around their, their uh, on a necklace or on a ring. And it was something they would use to seal something. So if I had an important financial document, I would put... Um, melt wax on it, and then I would put my signet ring, and that would be my signature. That would be my authority that this is what I send. Well, God is saying, listen, Zerubbabel, I'm putting you in charge. You're my signet. You're my representative. You're the one. I want you to encourage people to keep going. I'm giving you leadership. It's not some mysterious thing. Here is someone in front of you that says, let's go, guys. Let's go. Now, God had given Zerubbabel to those people. One of the things that he's provided for you is a pastor. Amen. God has given a signet 
someone here to say, let's be obedient to the Lord. Let's go. Let's organize our efforts. You do this. You do this. You take care of this. This is what God wants us to get done. Let's organize. Let's go. God has given leadership. He's not given us without what are we supposed to do now. He's given someone as leadership to help us move forward. And that's what he gave to Zerubbabel. That's something he provided. God provided leadership. He promised signet. Someone that God says, I'm going to direct you and then you direct the people. His promised signet. Oh, but there's something else here. Notice if you don't mind. God gave his presence, his provision, his protection, his promised signet. But then we also see this, his promised son. His promised son. Notice with me in chapter 2 verse 6. Chapter 2 verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts. Yet once it is a little while. And I will shake the heavens. And the earth. And the sea. And the dry land. And I will shake all nations. And the desire of all nations shall come. What he's talking about is that my son's coming. Jesus is coming. By the way, this is talking about two events at the same time. It's a dual prophecy. One of them, Jesus Christ came. And by the way, when he came, it did change the world. Even the stars obeyed and proclaimed. The angels came and proclaimed. Oh, but there's a day that Jesus Christ is coming again. And he's going to come and the whole world will shake. Jesus Christ is coming. And God promised his son. Why is the greatest days of this church Still ahead? Because God promised his son. And his son still has work to do. And where do we working preparing for him to show up? That we have his presence and his promised son. Notice as he continues on in, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in verse number 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now again, he's encouraging them that this house that you're building, it may not look as good as Solomon's. It may not be as expensive as Solomon's. But guess what? The desire of nations, he's going to step foot in here. He's got a plan for here. Now as for us, we've got something good too. Remember that in the Bible it identifies three houses. It identifies uh, three places that are called God's house. You have the tabernacle, which had God's spirit resting upon it. Whenever God's spirit would move, they would actually move the tabernacle with it. For the Solomon's temple, it was a place to represent the presence of God among the people. But in the New Testament times, there's another organization, an institute that God has called his house. And that is the local church. Now, as a reminder, that the local church is not the four walls. It's the people here. And the moment that you accept Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to live inside of you. And the one thing that makes this house even greater than the one that Moses was in, even greater than the one that Solomon put together, was that the Holy Spirit, who is God, lives within us all the time. And we have the promised son because we've accepted him. And the desire of nations has come. And that makes it better than anything else that has ever been built. Because he's with us. And that was his promise. And let me tell you, God doesn't do things better in the past. 
It's always moving forward. The greatest things are still ahead. The greatest revivals are still ahead. The greatest promises to be, fu- are to be fulfilled are coming. The greatest prophecies to be fulfilled are still to become. That God is always working for the future in our time frame. Meaning that it's always going to get better. Always, God has something better planned. And for us, we'd be a defeated people if we say, well, the greatest days are behind us. I guess we're just hanging in there till Jesus comes. Well, God doesn't want us to hold up till Jesus comes. God still wants to do a work. And God still wants to do a work here. And God still says the greatest days are still ahead. As long as we're willing to obey Him. As long as we stop making excuses and just go forward. As long as we decide we're going to serve Him with clean hands. He promised His presence. And God can give us His presence while we're meeting together. He could put His presence so thick on this place. That when people are just driving by. They go, there's something going on here. I don't know what it is, but I just drew by. He can make it so his presence is so thick when people go into the parking lot, they're automatically convicted of sins. They don't even, they may be going to the next building over there. But there's such a conviction because God's presence. God can give his presence and we can ask for it. God's still working. God could provide us. We can look and say, how in the world is God still paying bills? Because God owns the purse strings. He owns everything. He can supply for his work. It is no problem. God can take care of it. And the things that we would like to do in the future. No problem for him. He already knows how he's going to pay for it. He already knows how it's going to come to pass. God is able to work. And there's all kinds of amazing stories. I remember my pastor once. My pastor's crazy by the way. He walked to a business leader a wealthy millionaire and said, I believe that God wants you to give us this modular building for our Sunday school rooms. And the guy said, listen, if you stop calling me, sir, I'll give it to you. (laughs) Things like that happen to my pastor all the time. God's able to do certain things like that. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a church building, either here or in Tennessee, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. And I, oh, what's going on? It's, it's Monday afternoon. Hey, I, I just wanted to give you this. Who are you? Well, I just knew that God wanted me to give you this. Well, can I see you on Sunday? Probably not, because God just wants you to give me this. Okay. Thanks. God's able to do things. We don't have to worry about how God's going to supply it. If God told us to do it, he's going to supply it. The greatest days are still ahead. He promised his presence. He promised his provision. You know what? He promised his protection. This country can fall apart, and it may. But we can still move forward regardless of it because we know that God is able to protect. He is able to guard. We can be blessed and thrive when the rest of the country is falling apart. As long as we're obedient to God and God provides his protection. We can look forward to the greatest days are still ahead. Even if the, great, the worst days of our country are still ahead. Because we can watch God to work. And you know what? God has promised a pastor. And you've got a crazy pastor. But a pastor says, you know what? Let's go serve God. I have no desire to sit here and hole up. In fact, one of the things I pray for often, Max has been with me pray, I never want to just fill a service. All right, it's Sunday. Let's show up here. All right, we did our duty. I expect God to do something every service. I expect God to change lives every service. There's no such thing as a wasted message. Well, I just have to fill in a thing. Let's just get it over with. You know what my best message is? My next one. 
Because I'm expecting God to continue to work. Expecting. And with the same thing, we're trying to encourage you. Let's go. Let's serve God. God's got great things ahead. Let's go forward. You know, to have a pastor that crazy is actually a blessing. Because it doesn't happen a lot of places. But we can expect the greatest days of this church are still ahead. And then God promised son. He lives within us. And he still wants to do a work. And the greatest days are still ahead. And he wants us to be involved in what he is doing in this world. The greatest thing that's being accomplished in all the world is happening in churches like this. Because God wants to see people reached with the gospel. He wants lives to be changed. He wants people to be brought to him. And Jesus can do that. We just get to watch God work. So what is your part in this? Well, first of all, I want you to be convinced that the greatest days of this church are still ahead. That you're on ground zero for what God has planned. I want you to be encouraged that those greatest days are still ahead. Because if not, then you're going to be dragging quite a bit. Oh, I guess I'm going to show up to church now. Let's see what failures happen this time. If you believe that the greatest days are still ahead, there's going to be an excitement. You want to be involved. In it. I want to be involved in it. Second thing, stop making excuses. What excuses keep you from serving God? They had the excuse of fear. I'm afraid of people out there. God can help you with that excuse. Well, I'm just waiting for things to stop making excuses. Just make a determination that I'm going to serve God with what I have and what little ability I have. And God will use it. But there's another thing. You need to serve God clean. If you plan on serving the Lord, there are some things that you're going to have to keep out of your life. They may not be sinful, but you choose not to do them in order to have him. The never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ, that I may know him. The Apostle Paul said, I count all this other stuff as dung because they get in my way of knowing him. Are you willing to set some things aside? They may not be sinful, they may not be wrong, but they're in the way. Of you pursuing after the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that with me. That you can say that the greatest days. Are still ahead. And that you're looking forward to it. You're anticipating. You're excited to see what God's going to do. And he's going to do some miraculous things. I'm giving you. I'm giving you a spoiler. God is going to do some wonderful things up ahead. That 10 years from now when people say. How did God do this? We shrug our shoulders and say. I don't know. God did it. It wasn't us. It was God. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? How did God do all of this? We were just there watching him. He did it all. We can't explain it. It wasn't that all of a sudden we had a millionaire who decided to tithe. It's probably not going to happen. Good. How, how, how did you get all these things? Why do you got all these preacher boys? How do you got all these people student, studying for, to serve? The, how do you got all these soul winners? How are you knocking every door in Green Bay once a year? That, uh, I don't know. We just decided to be obedient and God's getting it done. How did all these churches get started? Can't explain it. Just God did it. We just said yes and watched him do it. That's the type of work we ought to be a part of. Where God is doing it. We're just being obedient. And God has got some amazing things up ahead. Can you be hopeful? Can you be excited? Can you see that with your spiritual eyes? That God's got something good up ahead. And don't you want to be a part of it? The greatest days of the Riverview Baptist Church are still ahead. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.